Hey, everybody, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Trevor. I'm here with Mark. How are you feeling today, Mark? I feel like I've got too many books and too little time right now. How are you feeling? Mm, common emotion. I feel yeah. rushed. That's all I feel. I feel rushed. <laughs> Do you have time to record? I have just the amount of time. No, I, I'm, <laughs> done, I'm done now, but it was, uh, you know, it was a race to the finish line. Busy day. Yeah. Got to finish that, uh, something called a day job. I don't know. Thinking about yep. thinking about uh, ending it. Day job turning into night job a little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, how's it going? It's pretty good. Um, I finished my book a couple days ago. I'm excited about talking about it today. I was so up on, like, I think I, like, the last time we ended our recording, I was, like, bragging to you because I was already halfway done. I've been, like, <laughs> I've been done with this book so long that I actually thought I, we had already recorded. I was oh, like, okay. I was like, oh, wait, what? And then I was like, oh, we haven't recorded yet. And I didn't do that yet. I forgot everything about it. I, to be honest. <laughs> A little bit. Oh. <laughs> That's all right. We'll talk about it today. Yep. Uh, Get back in. Is it is it a new book? Can I ask? Is it a 2021 novel? A modern book? No, not at all. Okay, damn. I want because today I wanted to start the show by talking about 2021, like the year in books so far, and okay. the books that we got coming up. So brand brand new shit, the 2021 stuff. Brand so, new shit. Uh, we're like a little over halfway through the year, so disturbing there's a lot there's a lot of yeah there's a lot that's come out there's a lot that's yet to come out a lot of notable stuff i searched through some lists of like most anticipated releases mm -hmm. that were you know compiled back in january or yeah, late i'm not December. gonna know i'm not gonna know any i'll probably know some <laughs> names but i'm not gonna know books exactly but i also looked up some fall 2021 book previews stuff that's about to come out so mm. I want to gauge your interest in these books based on the blurbs alone. Okay. So I want you to give me like a thumbs up or a thumbs down, just Coliseum style, and then I'll let you know what who, the book is. Okay. And yeah. who's writing yeah. it? Okay. Yep. That's perfect. All right. First one. This might grow my list because I'm always, you know, it's like impossible to be, unless you set out with the goal, like I'm reading books from this year, it's like impossible. You'll never yeah. catch up. Yeah. Unless you just, yeah, hang out at bookstores a lot, though. And because sometimes, yeah, that's like the probably the easiest way. Just like this is new release section or whatever. Yeah. All right. Go for it. First one narrated in his signature first person, which hovers somewhere between inscrutable and, quote, very big feelings. The book's protagonist is the eponymous Clara, an artificial friend who is hypersensitive to human emotions. As Clara carefully and lovingly observes others, the work of the reader is to carefully and lovingly observe her. So, so I think I know who this is just because I know he came out with a new book this year that has Clara in the title and it's Ishiguru. Yes. <laughs> and it's like Clara and the Sun or something like that. Correct. Yeah, yeah. It came out March 2nd. Damn, how did I year. know that? Did you're in the right? What's know, funny Google, though is that I, news. <laughs> I almost feel like a little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't call him the textbook first person. Person, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. 
It's his signature, apparently. Okay. I mean, I guess a lot of his books are first person. Artists yeah. in the Floating World is first person. So what do you think about him uh, tackling like an artificial intelligence kind of, sort uh, of light on, sci-fi sort of? Honestly, this is going to be, this is going to bring something new to the podcast because I rarely talk about if I have false starts. And yeah. I've had a few false starts since the beginning of the podcast. Like I'll read 50 pages and be like, no, like I'm not reading and I'm not covering. Like I'll just like kind of move on, maybe come back later. And a pretty dramatic, like recent, not recent, probably like six months ago or something. I mean, like what is time anymore? But a while ago I started reading his highly acclaimed. It's like a book about giants. It's called like the buried giant. And I okay. stopped. I stopped. I was like, no, I don't give a shit. All right. And the Barry Giant was like, I just couldn't really care about it. So I'm not too psyched on late era Ishiguru. Okay. I guess so that's thumbs, what I'm saying. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Would not, would not necessarily give him another chance. I would. I'd give him another chance. But I'm very, you know, you don't have much time, Ishiguru. <laughs> go back to like british novels i guess no i mean i like down to earth or artists of the floating world and the remains of the day are well the remains of the day is british artists of the floating world isn't and then there's another one that's really good that i feel like no one really talks about but i've read it can't remember what it is okay so we got one for one we got a thumbs up so let's see uh move on to the next one no thumbs down (laughs) Oh, sorry. A a documentarian living in modern day Santiago obsessively combs through the confessions of a former military officer to reimagine the final moments of the people he tortured and who disappeared. In the process, she ventures beyond the historical records that present the Chilean dictatorship's crimes as a series of isolated cases revealing an alternative world that haunts the nation's psyche. Thumbs up because I'm interested, but I have no idea like what this is. <laughs> it's uh, it's called the Twilight Zone, and it's by Chilean novelist Nona Fernandez. Came out Twilight also in March. Come yeah, on, do a different title than that. <laughs> That's just weird, right? It's like when you carry that around, it's like, hey, you're reading about the Twilight Zone. It's like, no, it's actually this Chilean <laughs> novel about yeah. you know a secret military history. <laughs> I know that's very like out of left field, but so it's uh, translated from Spanish. I wonder um, if that translation is really bad. Yeah, like, I, if, I mean, like if the author was like, "Well, it, uh, these translators like it technically literally means Twilight Zone," but then the author, <laughs> the author herself, might be like, "It's not a fucking Rod Serling show." <laughs> and if you look at the uh, that. The uh, I was about to say album cover. If you look at the book cover, it does look like it's got like concentric circles, kind of like maybe you know, that's like in the Twilight plot. ish thing. Maybe that's I mean, in the plot. Yeah, it could be. But the the tight like the title and the uh, cover give you no hints that it's like a native Chilean novel or like mm. something to do with the military. Yeah, you're you're right. It's like it looks like a it's gonna look like a Rod Sterling thing. <laughs> So that was a thumbs up, though. Thumbs up but from just the description. A, like a, a what the fuck thumbs up. Like, 
not sure what it is. All right, next one. The first novel of a new trilogy called A Key to All Mythologies centers on the Hildebrand family, Father Russ and Mother Marion, who are both eyeing the exit out of their marriage and their nearly grown children, Clem, Becky, and Perry. This volume starts in 1971 and is set in a Midwest suburb. The series will eventually work its way through three generations. Most intriguing, the title is a tongue-in-cheek play on the character Cassavon's long-belabored, unfinished book from George Eliot's Middlemarch. Hmm. Having very mixed emotions just from this description. Because one, whether, whether it's fair or not, it's probably unfair. But the like the fantasy genre has like co-opted trilogies. Yep. So like when you say it's a trilogy, at first I was like, oh, he's gonna be talking about some like new fantasy release or something. But it doesn't sound like that. And then the other thing that I thought was weird about that description in particular is that it didn't like, I think it's like weirdly not confident or like kind of braggy to be like, this will be three books. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like yeah. eventually <laughs> you're going to hear about her daughter and her daughter, you know, like I yeah. swear I'm going to write it. So oh, it's in the bag. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, like you can get hit by a bus at any time. Unless, yeah. I mean, I've heard before there are now people, I think, on Amazon public, like self publishing and stuff, they release like trilogies like all at once now. There's like people who do like it's 10 books that just came out all at once. <laughs> it's like Netflix style, right? Yeah. A dump. Maybe they did that. Um, but yeah. So I'm going to do thumbs down, but not particularly because of the content but more because of the context of like, I feel like I'm being a snob, a, a okay. reading okay. snob of like, okay, your three books can't wait. You, you're not though. You're not though. And, and I've been smiling this whole time. Mm -hmm. uh, you dodged a bullet here, buddy. This is, uh, <laughs> this is the novel Crossroads by Jonathan Franzen. It's coming out in October. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my God. For anyone who doesn't know the history of Franzen on this podcast is that I have yet to pick up Franzen at all because Mark shit on him once 10 years ago. And he was like, and he was like, this book sucks. And I was like, dude, if it's, if Mark says it sucks, then I, I haven't even touched him ever. <laughs> so even, even from the blurb, you could tell it's like a little like pretentious. Yeah, that's and weird, so right? funny. That's so funny. It's like, you didn't like him because you thought he was like a thesaurus, right? Like he was like yeah. kind of annoying. And, uh, and I know that you famously use one of his books as a doorstop or you did in one <laughs> yeah. of your apartments. And I don't that's, think it survived. Oh my movie. god! It it eats through <laughs> even the freaking thing that's like the like blurb for publication. It came through as like this guy is a huge loser. <laughs> it's called <laughs> a key to all mythologies. The, the trilogy, and, but it's about one family. An upcoming in the Midwest trilogy for Jonathan Franzen. Dude, no one's ever thought of like the Midwest as like a parallel to ancient mythologies <laughs> or, or any, I don't know. I just hate the guy, but so you, yeah, you, you definitely dodged a bullet here. Uh, hey, I was going to, I was going to like totally, his publicists. <laughs> I was going to roast the hell out of you. If you said, if you said yes. Uh, 
All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, Theo Byrne, a widowed astrobiologist searching for life on distant planets who decides to take his young son on a galactic mission. Expects soaring pros and wise lessons about the bonds between humans and Mother Earth. Hmm. See, that was more simple and direct and not really like wasting anyone's time. I'd do thumbs up. <laughs> I'd do thumbs up on that description. Okay. The first of a ten, it's a first of a 10 part series, and we're fingers crossed to have a Netflix series. Oh, really? Is that what it's no, 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 definitely not. Um, <laughs> But this is Bewilderment by Richard Powers coming out in late September. Who, you might be like, who's Richard Powers? He's. Do you remember I, I covered the Overstory on a yeah, earlier episode? Yeah, Yo, yeah, I, rem I recognize that somehow. This is his first book since then, and it's very interesting that he's doing like a sci-fi and astrobiology like what's theme the, story uh, what's because the, the overstory the overstory was all about trees <laughs> yeah trees yeah what was the name of this one bewilderment bewilderment yeah first book in six years i think for him that's cool yeah i might check that one out but you thought you had problems with the overstory i mean you were like where the fuck is this going yeah but i, I i'm interested now that he like took this kind of hard pivot to like sort of science fiction that makes me a little interested it, de it depends you know what it's going to depend on how big of a book it is if it's like a if it's like a 900 page monster i'm going to be like he's probably going all over the place with this one but mm -hmm. if it's a little more focused uh i might like it more but mark in our reading youth that 800 pages validated us yeah that was that was the thing yep <laughs> No longer. No longer. <laughs> Podcast, damn you. All right, next one. When the world's largest search engine slash social media company, The Circle, Ooh. merges with the planet's dominant e-commerce site, it creates the richest and most dangerous and, oddly enough, most beloved monopoly ever known, The Every. Oh, my God. I just feel like... Um, it sounds it, cheesy, right? <laughs> it, it it sounds a little cheesy, but it also sounds like I think it's interesting because I've been grappling in my own mind. I've been grappling with the idea that I think that some authors are avoiding reality at this point. Like like a brand new Murakami, it will like not mention smartphones and stuff. Yeah, and like stuff like that. And I do feel that there's like an impasse happening with like. This is a quote unquote older, older form of media, but they don't really talk about like, yo, I was on the computer for eight hours. You know? Yeah. Like, and that... there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of characters that are still like going to the store. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, like exactly. A, a thing. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think that there is some sort of literary reckoning that's going to come for that and in a good way, but, and I don't think that this sounds like that book, but I, I think it's cool that they acknowledge, you know, whatever, whatever. But the opposite side of the coin is that this book does not sound like an escape at all. It sounds <laughs> like you're just going to like, like, you know, like you open your phone and you're just like annoyed with like Bezos, Musk, yeah. Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, like everything. Yeah. And then as you're reading this book, you're just going to cast those people as the characters uh, of the mega tech monopoly and be like, okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it, I, 
I would have to see if the book like really just is is just <laughs> taking the news and putting it into like a little bit of of a twist. Yeah, I'd do like, what I, would happen? What would I happen do, if Facebook and Amazon joined? I do thumbs down on that, but it's a valiant effort because I do think that there is a necessary reckoning of people actually acknowledging like I really do think that there should be a book where it's like you know, every few paragraphs, it's like, and then I checked Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There would be more. There's definitely going to be like a, uh, you know, academic term for when that pivot happens, like cyber realism or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that was The Every by Dave Eggers coming out this fall. Oh, okay. I know that guy. Yeah. I just kind of know his name. Me too. <laughs> Did he do like a, a staggering work of brilliant genius or whatever that book is? Uh, a breathtaking no, work of something, something. I, I don't know if that's him or Jonathan Safran or whatever. Uh, whatever. Yeah. But let me look it up real quick. Yeah. He did a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. You nailed yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. He's from Boston. Hey. Yeah. Actually, that's, that's <laughs> New York, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Uh, one of the most dynamic and globally recognized entertainment forces of our time opens up fully about his life in a brave and inspiring book that traces his learning curve to a place where outer success, inner happiness, and human connection are aligned. So you got to guess who it is first and then tell me thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. Well, it's funny because it's like when you say that description of someone, oh, what was the first thing? The most like important. One of the most dynamic and globally recognized entertainment forces. Yeah. So it's like, it's funny because I think of a, a lot of those books have already come out, right? I was like, is it Springsteen? Is it Obama? <laughs> is it like all these people? Um, I don't know. I'm just going to go out of left field and, and say that like, this is some sort of ridiculous like book that you found that you're putting in as a joke. Like it's like, the, it's like the carrot top autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good so, guess. Good so, guess. And I'm also doing thumbs. Would you read it? It really depends on the person. Cause that first <laughs> sentence, that first sentence is like Im imposing so much clout on yourself. Right. Yeah. Is it an autobiography? Give me that hint. Uh, yes. Yeah, see, that that's a thumbs down because that's too much. It's like being like, here's my autobiography about me, the most important <laughs> person globally recognized. What is it? Uh, it's called Will by Will Smith coming out this fall. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm going to read this. All I right, I yeah, this. I guess I... it does. Like I said, it depends on the person and I guess thumbs up. I want to read the chapters that are about Fresh Prince. I... Dude, I was the biggest... I was a huge Will Smith fan when I was a little kid. Like that was the, one of the first CDs I ever bought. Getting jiggy with it was Big Willie style, and like nice I remember thing. one of the like looking back embarrassing moments, <laughs> probably <laughs> when I was like I was like a six year old kid like with that with that CD. But I I bought a CD did not have a CD player, like we just had one in the car. Right, you just had like so you was like at it. yeah, I was like living in an apartment complex, and I like walked up to some like older kids who had a boom box and i was like can i play my cd on your thing <laughs> <laughs> nice 
and like in retrospect it like probably wasn't their kind of thing but they, they like played you? it they played yeah they played uh, it so but it's <laughs> a nice moment my yeah my big willy style moment i guess this like dates it because i don't know but i specifically remember listening to big willy style and playing the nintendo 64 game wave runner yep, yep. do you remember that game yeah, so 1996. I remember just jamming out to Big style and playing Wave Runner. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful memory. <laughs> it's pure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think I'm gonna read that book though. We'll see. Okay. Definitely uh, gonna check it out. Uh, next one, <laughs> the Carrot Top story though. I wonder if he does have a memoir. Probably. <laughs> uh, the next one is. This ingenious story plays out in a beautifully recreated New York City of the early 1960s. It's a family saga masquerading as a crime novel, a hilarious morality play, a social novel about race and power, and ultimately a love letter to Harlem. But mostly it's a joy to read another dazzling novel from this Pulitzer Prize and National Book Award winning author. Oh my God. Yeah, I would read it because I because of the New York nostalgia. I mean, I don't obviously I wasn't in New York in the 60s. Um, but just hearing about New York in different eras is a thrill because um because it's like it's kind of thrilling, even like for them to say Harlem is like I've never lived in Harlem, didn't I, but I did spend some time in Harlem. I knew someone who lived in Harlem, and it's like I think it's cool when you can read something where like you've been there. That was like mm -hmm. such a, that was like a life-changing thing about uh, my tr a trip to Japan that I took to visit our friend Brett, because it was like every book, like Japanese book, which, you know, I read a lot is like different now because th there's like a vibe, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I do like interacting with books where I've specifically been to the place. And obviously New York city has quite a few of those. Yeah. And that sounds cool. Oh. That sounds kind of cool. <laughs> that book, just the description itself sounds kind of cool. Yeah, we definitely, we need more movies set in New York. It's like, we need, we need I more. I know, it's like, there's you never not see enough. It. Yeah. Uh, so this is Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. Okay. Coming out know, this fall. I don't know who that is. He's the author of The Nickel Boys, uh, The Underground Railroad. Uh, like it said, he's a Pulitzer and uh, National Book Award winning author. Underground Railroad, is that what the new show is based on? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. If you haven't seen that show, it's really good. Well, the uh, a, a lot of the first episodes are really good. Okay. So gave that, that one's a thumbs up. All right, next one. This novel takes a sharp left turn away from the novelist's usual focus on contemporary Americans. Instead, it heads to the 12th century to follow Marie de France, a former lady-in-waiting to Eleanor of Aquitaine, whom the French court sends to England to run an impoverished abbey. This author has a knack for dissecting the inner workings of cloistered communities, so it will be fascinating to see what they make of the hive-like energy of an all-female community. Hmm. There's a lot going on there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, thumbs up, I guess. You got to give people their chance. At first, I was going to say thumbs down because I wanted, like, I was typecasting. Even, like, I don't even know who the author is, but they were, like, 
kind of typecasting whoever it is in the beginning by saying that they're a chronicler of American Americana. So I was sort of like, why do I want to hear this Americana's like author about like such and such a time period? But you got to give people their due. Typecasting isn't fair. Okay. So this is Matrix by Lauren Groff coming out September 7th. Another horrible title. (laughs) I know. Uh, author of the 2015 novel Fates and Furies, but yeah, the the, the Matrix, the Matrix and Twilight Zone. Uh, it's, is it two, the two Matrix books. or just Matrix? No, just Matrix. Just Matrix. still, it's so, so <laughs> bad. Just like be aware, you know. Well, it's like the first one was the Matrix, and then wasn't the second movie Matrix Reloaded or whatever? It doesn't matter. So it is just still like, like Matrix. I just think like stuff like that is. Yeah, I don't know matrix <laughs> the matrix do you think the twins are in it the albino twins <laughs> the albino twins you just have to be aware you just have to kind of like i think that people that was said in a meeting somewhere about this book like oh, what about the matrix and then they were like that doesn't matter it's like yes, <laughs> yes it does that's for nerds yeah yeah no 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 one no one will make that association it's like <laughs> You give a thumbs up though. I'm holding you. You got to read that now. I'm okay. holding you to it. All right. Last one. This is a novel about what we do not understand about great drama seen through the limited lens of little lives. But first and foremost, it's the novel about what happens when dark forces in the world are set free. Well, that sounds like some sort of like, at first when you said little lives, I thought like homelessness or like, or even little kids, like little thing, and then darkness set free. Sounds like it's like some new Stephen King shit. Um, yeah, thumbs up. I like the description. Okay. This is actually, you'll be happy. It's uh, a new novel by Nausgaard. What? Coming out this fall. It's called The Morning Star. Oh my God. I didn't even know that. By Carl Ove. Yeah. Carl Ove. I would. I mean, I've only read one and two of my struggle. Did you read three? Uh, no, I think I only read one and two as well. But you read the one about Monk. Yeah, no that that's his best Monk. book. That's his best book. Uh, yeah. What you call it? It's called um, "So Much Longing in So Little Space" or something like that. He's been a workhorse though. He's got that whole uh, like seasons quadrilogy, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been he's been putting out like books pretty consistently gotta get that nice yeah. shelf going new one morning star cool so i think you gave like maybe a little bit i think you gave over half thumbs up got a lot of reading to do yeah so um yeah i think we'll revisit this intro at the end of the year when we have some more like confirmed releases for 2022 yeah, it's a good it's a good concept. Good job. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh I'm going first today. And I don't even know what episode number this is because apparently I mislabeled the last one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 74, but it's gonna be called 73 or something. I don't know. But this is truly 74? I think so. Okay. Episode 74. I'm going first. Um Tell me about, uh, before I dive into my book, I'll give you one question, Mark style. Tell me if you can recall, like, what is your biggest, like, 
going into, and this isn't a negative term, but going into a rut with an author where it's like, I just read like basically like just this author for like the longest span of time. Hmm. Like, like basically getting into a groove, not a rut, a groove. Of uh, like, like probably like when we were reading Dark Tower, it was like we probably read Stephen King for like a year. Yeah, I mean, that that might be that might be what I go with here, because like, I think the last time that I read through Dark Tower, instead of like pivoting to something else, I was just going to try another King book. And mm-hmm. so I read I either read Duma Key or Lysi's story. It might have been Duma Key, but I think either of them I have the same opinion about. And it's starts out amazing, sets up this awesome story, and then just like the the unseen <laughs> monster or whatever ends up being super lame. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like the beginning, the beginning groundwork is so good, but then it just kind of fizzled out. So you would say, like, did I get it right that Stephen King would probably be like an author where it's like you kept reading just him for like an extended period of time? Has you have you done that with anyone else? Uh yeah, I think I did that with Charles Portis too. Like I I just yeah. ran through like True Grit and then Norwood and then The Dog of the South and then Masters of Atlantis. Like I almost did it in order. Mm-hmm. Um but I didn't I didn't like fall out of the rut for any other reason other than I just like didn't have the other books. Right. Yeah. I did a big rut. Uh not a rut. It's a groove. It's not a rut. Um groove. I did a groove with Mishima once. Like the kind of like majority of when I read his books was that I read Confessions of the Mask, loved it. Then a little while later, I started reading like a biography about him that was about his like suicide and like all these different things. And the biography was good because it kind of brought you through like his body of work, like as his life develops. So basically what I was doing was like, I was stopping reading and then reading the book that he was like publishing around that time and then going back in, which is a hard way to read a biography, but it's actually really good. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like kind of interesting. I did that with him. Uh, The reason why I say, you know, getting in grooves and stuff is because I am now doing an author when we first started the podcast i was like oh like what will it be like to do a repeat author like i i was trying to not do like an author twice um Mm -hmm. for whatever reason i don't know why um but i'm bringing an author that you introduced me to through this podcast to the table for a third time and that is virginia wolf oh wow Okay. So I'm still on Virginia Woolf. So basically, what was it? It was probably two episodes ago that I did um, A Room. A Room of One's Own. Then I read Peter Straub Coco. And now I've returned back to Virginia Woolf for Mrs. Dalloway. Okay. Probably her most famous. Yeah. Mrs. Dalloway. That's Um, one you hear about for sure. I have not read that. Yeah. And it's kind of like it, it's weird to say. It's it's another Virginia Woolf book, but it is like the body of her work is all, you know, connected and similar in a way where it's just like uh, she's a super badass. She's like a huge mega beast <laughs> of 
like compressing time and doing like emotions and stuff. So let me give you the rundown of Mrs. Dalloway. I feel like even with Virginia Woolf, like there's no such thing as spoilers, right? Like no. It, 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 if someone described every event to be uh, to you of uh, to the lighthouse, it still wouldn't equal like the experience of the book. So it doesn't matter. No. <laughs> You'd be um, like, what? He finished that painting or something? Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> they got in the boat. <laughs> no. Bro, uh, what? So in Mrs. Dalloway, there's a few different kind of characters going on. First of all, another kind of like shout out to what I was saying before of like having experienced the place is like so meaningful so mrs dalloway all occurs it's like one of those uh it's a novel i'm pretty sure unless i'm mistaken it's a novel that's like a one day type of novel like a, okay like passing the narrative between like three or four groups of people at will and like all during one day in london and it's in like downtown london where it's like that like mrs dalloway um she lives like down the Clarissa Dalloway lives like in a like a nice like rich people apartment like down the street from Westminster Abbey, which would mm -hmm. is like impossibly you know wealthy and stuff like that. Um, let me read you something from uh, the. Well, actually, I'll get into that later. But the um, the events of it are really cool. Um, so there's Clarissa Dalloway. She's the main character. She is, it's not really a main character though. They're, they're all main characters. She is married to a guy um, who she got into like the stable marriage or like her life is figured out, like whatever. But there's another guy who arrives from uh, like an abroad trip to, from India. Cause you know how the UK was always just like, basically like colonizing India and treating mm -hmm. them like shit, stuff like that. So he on this particular day is returning and he goes to see her. Um, his name is Peter and so there's that going on there's some like sort of like uh, emotions on his side of things of like oh she's like the one who got away he's the one who got away but really they're like also solidified in their choice of of what they did so it's not too dramatic then another thing that she explores in this book that i don't think i've seen in anything else that she did is that there is a character who has like um ptsd to the point of like delusions so that's interesting with Virginia Woolf. Like there's this guy named Septimus and his wife, who's an Italian hat maker. <laughs> and yeah. it like, have you ever seen the movie Slacker or have you heard of it? Which one is that? Slacker is Richard Linklater. Like why he's famous. He's the guy who made Boyhood and Dazed and Confused. I think I've seen Slackers. Slacker. <laughs> No different movie. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's <laughs> it's like a college one. No. I just remember like. No, let me uh, look at I it. Don't know. Slacker, Rick, Richard Linklater. Yeah, is a film from 1990. No, it's just Slacker, and it's okay. famous. It's famous because what it is is this movie where the narrative just keeps getting passed off. So. I'm diverting here, but I promise it makes sense back to Mrs. Dalloway. Sla like from Wikipedia, Slacker follows a single day in the life of an ensemble of mostly under 30 bohemians and misfits in Austin, Austin, Texas. It follows various characters and scenes, never staying with one character or conversation for more than a few minutes before picking up someone else in the scene and following them. 
that's a more succinct description of what I'm trying to say is that between Clarissa Dalloway, Peter, her former like lover almost got engaged, her husband, Richard, um, there's, you know, a passing car on the street. That's like an important character for a few pages, you know, that kind of like Tim Robbins kind of shit. Uh, yeah. Tom Robbins, Tim Robbins is an actor. Yeah. Um, and then there's this guy Septimus who has PTSD from World War One. He has like insane visions and stuff like that. And there's some, there is some like stuff in there where it makes me wonder if Virginia Woolf ever did psychedelics because she definitely like talks about these like kind of really trippy like interesting things where I'm like Virginia Woolf, were you like experimenting with drugs? Um, and then there's another, there's like a third and fourth group of people that I'm probably like forgetting right now. Like I said, I read it and then kind of moved on. Um, but the core of the experience, right, is that Virginia Woolf is like such a good writer. To get into like the emotion of how it gets passed around and how it's very fragmented, there's a cool um, quote from the beginning, uh, the introduction of the book uh, that I'll read from right now. She says, in coming up for ideas with this novel, and she's talking about like post-World War One kind of emotional landscape. She says in the vast, she wrote this as like a letter to someone else or she wrote it in, uh, I think this was like published in a newspaper. She says, in the vast catastrophe of the European war, our emotions had to be broken up for us and put at an angle from us before we could all allow, allow ourselves to feel them in poetry or fiction. Um, in Mrs. Dow, and then the introduction, the person who's writing the introduction says, in Mrs. Dalloway, she began to assemble the bits and pieces to find the angles, the original voice that would make us feel. Um, and there's just so much like really, it is a book that is about like fragmented emotions, like this book, uh, this quote from just like the very beginning. Um, you know, she's talking about Clarissa Dalloway. Uh, she wanted that people should look pleased as she came in the room. Half the time she did things not simply, not for themselves, but to make people think this or that. Uh, oh, if she could have had her life over again. Like all these different kind of like fragmented things. Um, I X, like what I do for the podcast is I make X's in the little corners of the pages. So as I can flip through, I can just kind of see what I underlined. And this book is like very X'd out. Like there's so much cool, like, um, like here, this is what I'm talking about with like, did she experiment with drugs? This is like from that guy Septimus's perception. Uh, he's looking up at the leaves in the park and he says, and the leaves being connected by millions of fibers with it, with his own body there on the seat, fanned it up and down when the branch stretched, he too made that statement. So it's like, he's looking up at this tree being like, I'm the tree. Like yeah, that's um, his trip report. Yeah. Like definitely <laughs> like super trippy. Um, yeah. So that was, you know, there's just so much stuff and that's like her power, right? It's like, there's also a lot of really cool themes throughout um, Dalloway. Pretty much every woman in the book, which I thought was really cool, is you have a very hard time nailing down how old the women are because they, when you slip into their inner dialogue, they um, have this like inner life where they're younger and more vibrant, but then they'll like turn a corner and see themselves in the mirror or in a window and they're like an old woman. Mm -hmm. which is like really cool. Like the opening thing, uh, it's a famous opening sentence of the book. It's about, you know, uh, she wants to buy flowers for herself. But I thought what was cool, there's like a sentence in here. 
you know, uh, let's see, what a lark, what a plunge, for it had always seemed to her when, with a little squeak of the hinges, which she should she could hear now, she had burst open the French windows and plunged at Burton into the open air. How fresh, how calm, stiller than this, of course, the air was in the early morning, like the flap of a wave, the kiss of a wave, chill and sharp, and yet for a girl of 18, as she then was, solemn, feeling as she did, standing there at the open window, that something awful was about to happen. But then, like, two pages later, you hear, you, like, learn that Clarissa is, like, 55 in the current, in the current day of the book. Um, which is like really interesting. And, there, and there's multiple female characters that are like that, which is like kind of fascinating. Um, it was like, it's just like th that kind of book. It's hard to explain. Like I can explain the events to you, but really it's just about, it's yeah. also, it's a little bit about like, isn't all Virginia Woolf, I think you could agree from To the Lighthouse. A little bit is just sort of like, isn't she the writer's writer? Where it's, Proustian or whatever like where it doesn't matter what yeah. the subject really is she can just talk about anything which but, by, which by the way in the introduction of my edition um which is written by who's the introduction with a forward by Maureen Howard I don't know who that is but Maureen uh you know obviously I put a big x on the page when she said at this time when she's writing Mrs. Dalloway she's also reading a ton of Proust it's like yes <laughs> the legends coming together yeah um Okay, so like here's another paragraph that I X'd out that's just like a cool example of, of how deep she gets. By conviction an atheist, perhaps, he is taken by surprise with moments of extraordinary exaltation. Nothing exists outside us except, except the state of mind. He thinks a desire for solace, for relief, for something outside these miserable pygmies, these feeble, these ugly, these craven men and women. But if he can conceive of her, then in some sort she exists, he thinks. And advancing down the path with his eyes upon sky and branches, he rapidly endows them with womanhood, sees with amazement how grave they become, how majestically, as the breeze stirs them, they dispense with a dark flutter of the leaves, charity, comprehension, absolution, and then flaying themselves suddenly aloft, confound the piety of their aspect with a wild carouse. It's like Jesus Christ, you know, all, you know, it's all just very like um, cinematic and, you know, these leaves and all these things. And, and it just flows throughout another really cool thing that the uh, forward pointed out, which I, you know, it like left off the page once the forward printed it out is that um, there's a recurring theme of like Big Ben ringing out the time and like different clocks. You know, at this time, this is published in 1925. I think it's about a day in 1923 or something like that, if it's like referenced somewhere. Um, and it's like, it's interesting to think of a world where like as the hours tick by, like a bunch of these like little clocks go off, <laughs> you know, like we don't yeah. experience that. And that's like one of the central themes of the book. It's like, it's this one day thing, but as it goes on, it's, um, it kind of like ticks the passage of time and, and big Ben kind of ringing out throughout the city. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was so easy to read. I think that she's really easy to read. I was in Connecticut uh, visiting family when I was reading this book and it was just like, my particular copy is like a hundred and, 94 pages and i read it in like two or three days that might also be like a reason why i'm sort of like not remembering every little detail of like how perfect it was um but she's just like a super monster author um yeah 
And a lot of people, a lot of people in Clarissa's life, like her friends, Sally, um, come in and out of the book. Um, and it's, it's also really mature. Like, it's interesting. I don't think that when you're reading this book, if you were younger, you would necessarily get like the same value, but it's really cool. Like with that guy, Peter coming back and then they have a dinner party where one of their good mutual friends from when they were, um, kids comes back, Sally, and she has like a bunch of kids and, and it's just really interesting, like the emotions that they feel for each other and how like time has has slipped forward. Um, there's a lot of really kind of interesting, like flat, like another thing that the forward talked about was that the book is like all this like tapestry of all these confusing things, right? It's like a watercolor, but there are like, like a handful, like 10 or 20 sentences in the book that are like super solid that just like hit you. Um, one of them is that her friend Sally, like all she ever says is like, I have five boys. Like I have five like children. And it's like, what does that mean? And Clarissa doesn't have kids. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good book. That's what I was like. Yeah. Well, I definitely know from like to the lighthouse that she's amazing at doing that kind of intermediate chapters or Mm -hmm. sections where it's like, it is like a, a quick passage of a long amount of time kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Yep. That that part into the lighthouse where she's describing the house like falling apart pretty much is yeah over like parts of the book over twenty or whatever yeah 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 she's incredible and she's just really she's just amazing and another thing that I think that I would like to study like a little bit further I don't really know too much but I do know that she's known as like quote unquote stream of consciousness right like in the same like vein like oh it's stream of consciousness and it's like I would kind of like, I would like to read more about it. Maybe I don't really love reading about reading, but I would kind of like combat that. Like there's no way, like if people ever thought like, it's just her like stream of consciousness. It's like, no, it's like incredibly planned out. Like, it's not like maybe she goes like in a direction that is like whimsy or whatever, but everything, every word is definitely like redrafted and rewritten to be like really kind of like, where it's supposed to be it's not like oh I, this is like oh i wrote Slowing. like yeah. i wrote my diary and there's mrs dalloway it's like no it's like a masterpiece that was like edited <laughs> well i mean her and her husband like didn't they they ran the printing press and did all they they like they produced all their books i think they printed yeah all they had they printed some other big names so I'm, I'm sure it like went through a long process of proofreading and editing and everything yeah anyway yeah. i've taught i have so, not given the best description of and i've taken up a bunch of time so so where no wait where do you rank it rank the rank everything you've read so far from her from her um yeah. this okay so mrs dalloway is better than to the lighthouse okay um but a room of one's own might be more mind-blowing okay so one, two, three so one, two, three, yeah. So one, a room of one's own. Two, Mrs. Dalloway. Three, to the lighthouse. Cool. And my one-star review is short and sweet. Thankfully, from Nate on Goodreads, he says torturous. Just buy. <laughs> he says just buy the fucking flowers, Mrs. Dalloway. <laughs> Which is the famous opening line of Mrs. Dalloway wanted to buy the flowers for herself. Yeah. And then obviously it never even gets to her buying flowers. Well, I think it does like halfway through or something. 
Virginia cool. Wolf yeah. in the groove. So is is the streak over or are you gonna cover her next week? Mm, not next week, but I don't think the streak is over. Okay, okay. Cool. I support it. We need to uncover the whole bibliography. So I'm gonna start mine with a question too. Okay. Uh, have you ever been to an H Mart? No. Uh, do you know what it is? I'm thinking that it's something like Kmart. No, it's a Korean American grocery store chain. So it oh, is okay. like a chain, but it's a grocery store. It's the it's the largest Asian American supermarket chain. Oh, that's funny because in California we have a ton of. Uh, there's a large Chinese one here called uh -huh. 99 Ranch, and we okay. love going to Asian supermarkets. Yeah, so you'd love H Mart too. So uh, the H, I think there's like there's like 85 of them in the U.S. Uh, they have some in Colorado here, a couple of them nearby me. So we have like two options: the one that we like like more, the one that has because they have like you know unique personalities. But mm -hmm. so the H stands for Han Rium, which is a Korean phrase meaning one arm full of groceries. But every time we go there, we get like <laughs> way more than that. <laughs> an overflowing cart uh it's, yeah it's one of our favorite places to go you can spend hours there i'm sure the same thing with your uh with your uh version of it over in california like you can spend so long going through every aisle and just marveling at the huge varieties of everything like ramen and kimchi and every ingredient you can think of there's a million different varieties of it and you know there's like it it you just end up buying a lot of stuff just to try, you know, and they're, um, like, they're also basically the only place that you can find my favorite beer in the oh, world. Nice. What's that? Uh, Orion rice lager. Nice. It's, a, it's a rice lager. It's different. Uh, it's made in Okinawa and you can't really get it anywhere else, but the uh, H Mart has it. So I buy like the giant. Very case. encouraged. I'm very encouraged to hear that H Mart, like not, I'm not, I've never been to an H Mart, but yeah. basically like the idea, cause like, Moving out to like LA, I was like, there's all these amazing grocery stores. Like there's one called Superior that's mostly Latin American food. And then, you know, there's 99 Ranch, which is Chinese. And there's another one that's Japanese that we go to. And I was like, it's awesome that this is like, you know, not a unique thing. Yeah, yeah. It's so sick. Yep. Yeah, we love it. We go there like uh, once a month probably and like stock up on like there's like two rows of just dumplings frozen dumplings yeah we it's love frozen incredible dumplings too. that's what we get like you yeah the japanese market oh and yeah then, yeah but they also this has now become an asian supermarket podcast they yeah. also do like awesome cuts of like different like they treat beef differently like they do like yep. the thin slice like so you can make your own like beef and broccoli and stuff like that yep yeah and we get like pork belly and Dude, pro tip. Gowl and stuff. They yeah. value like other like westernized cuts of steak differently. So like sometimes like New York strips are like not that expensive at Asian markets because they're like yeah. <laughs> good shit. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, noted, noted. Next anyway, what book did you read? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's the thing. Like this is, it kind of, this fits the theme right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also fits the theme for my intro because this is the newest book that I've read on the pod uh this is from 2021 it's from april oh damn yeah so i got a notification on spotify earlier this year that 
Michelle Zahner was going to put out a book. She's from the indie rock band Japanese Breakfast. You ever heard of them? I think maybe through you. Not sure. Possibly. But uh, so she released a memoir this year. And, you know, since I was a fan on Spotify, I was given like a link to pre-order like a signed copy of like a first edition kind of thing. That's just some smart marketing. And the book title. Yeah, yeah. They, they do some cool stuff like that with Spotify if you're like following certain artists. Um, and so the book title caught me uh because my love for h mart the book is called crying in h mart nice so yeah it came out back in april it's an expansion on zoner's essay of the same name which was published in the new yorker uh in late 2018 mm. so it's a memoir about losing her mother to uh pancreatic cancer mm. Uh, but more than that, it's, you know, it's how she connected with her mother through for, with through food and, you know, certain Korean recipes. Uh, so her, her mother was Korean from uh, from Seoul and her father was white from uh, uh, America. And so, like, the book is a lot about her, you know, struggle with identity, but also just the struggle with, you know, losing her mother and. So she learns how to make some of the Korean dishes that her mother always prepared for her mm -hmm. uh, from like a very popular YouTube account called uh, Mangchi. That's M-A-A-N-G-C-H-I. Cool. So she's got like 6 million subscribers. So yeah, so that popular. She discusses Mangchi in the book. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. See, that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. And that, well, that's the thing, because she's, she's our age. Like, I'm pretty sure she's really close to our age. She's like a 1989er. Mm -hmm. um so she does have all these references to like live journal and like <laughs> instant mm -hmm. messenger and you know like stuff like that like it's cool to have a memoir from someone from our generation yeah definitely i mean if i was like oh like uh you know talking about like megan burgers i'd be like i've studied it extensively on youtube freaking yeah <laughs> shout out to binging with babish josh Wyman. yep, yep. <laughs> uh so yeah, she, she, you know, she learns how to make some of these dishes. Um, and, you know, at first she's attempting to make food for her mother when, you know, to give to when she's sick is she's, she's trying to track her mother's calories and keep her weight up. Uh, mm. Cause you know, cancer really attacks, uh, especially a pancreatic or something and digestive, like you kind of waste away, uh, but not being able to eat. Uh, but then, you know, after her mother's death, she, she goes back to these recipes to make them for herself to, you know, bring back all these old memories. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a book that will make you extremely sad, but also hungry. At the yeah. same time. <laughs> like there's, there's so much description of certain, you know, uniquely Korean dishes, like what the ingredients are, like what occasions or feelings it's usually associated with, um, which is like a very good, she offers very good descriptions of, of uh, the, you know, the food that she talks about. And to be completely honest, this was one of the harder books for me to read uh, because I've related so much to it. I mean, like, as you know, my, my mother passed away from ovarian cancer two years ago. Yep. Uh, and, you know, there were so many thoughts expressed by Zoner in here that I just remember having a hundred percent and just about like the process and the battle with everything and trying to, trying to like fit things in for one more time, like when the prognosis is bad. Mm -hmm. uh, 
so yeah i mean it was something i had i, I had to put the book down a few times it's just difficult for me to read the at, almost like reading through my own memories you know she she for for like a debut novel it's uh excellent at mm-hmm. you know those kind of unique thoughts and and descriptions does she uh, ever is there a scene where she cries in h mark uh yeah i mean that's like that's kind of the intro <laughs> okay good yeah but i think uh i think anyone can you know connect really deeply with this book if you've experienced the loss of a loved one like it's I mean, it's not for everyone because it, it is very detailed as far as how things deteriorated with her mother's health mm-hmm. and taking care of her. Uh, you know, it's that's the bulk of the book mixed with, you know, the memoirish part of like Zahner's earlier life in Oregon before becoming a successful artist. Mm-hmm. And you know, going to college in the East Coast, doing small tours and, you know, living that sort of. So is there Star- also starving. there is some value to like I'm into this band kind of thing too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she describes some of the like starving artists lifestyle, like living with a bunch of crust punk roommates mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, working working in the food service industry. And I, I always like reading about the lives of musicians before they kind of figured everything out. Uh I like that sort of thing. Um, like the struggle. Sometimes they don't figure it out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, there's just so many small details in here that were, were extremely personal. Like, it's a very brave memoir. Um, and throughout the book, she talks about her boyfriend at the time. Like, his name's Peter. And, you know, he was there with her throughout this whole or- ordeal. And uh, everything. he kept, you know, having things thrown at him with, like, this you know, with the uh, situation and mm-hmm. he even agreed to like a hasty marriage so that Zahner's mother could attend the wedding. Like oh. two, it was two weeks before her death. And, you know, the cynical part of me, I was just waiting to hear like, you know, Oh, we parted ways after my first world tour or something, you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like waiting for that. Cause I don't know, but then she, re- she ends up revealing that, you know, Peter's actually the guitarist in her band. Like, currently like I, and I had no idea and i thought that was so cool they you know got married and became successful together because her story is kind of strange like she released an album in 2016 and then like this kind of when she was still living in oregon and like you know it was like a year or two later that all this happened with her mother and then for and i don't know the magic of the internet her her music like finally caught on with the rate group or something like mm-hmm. years later and then she became successful from it mm-hmm. uh she just actually just put out a new album this year kind of coincides with the book but this uh this book reminded me a lot of kitchen by banana yoshimoto like you remember yep yeah that's one of the first very early on yeah so they both discuss cooking your way through grief like it's kind of a interesting parallel between the two because like I, I have that too with with my, my mother. Like there are you know recipes and stuff that she you know used to make that I like make now, and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of connection is cool. But yeah, uh, extremely, extremely good book. I think um, I think a lot of people would like this. 
and you don't have to be like a fan of her music or anything. It's, yeah, it doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound well, like it. You know, you could. It's you not. Know, yeah, it's not required. You could buy it because you like H Mart. Yeah. So let me read this part uh, from. I think it, it's very early on in the book, like pages four to. I'm going to read pages four to six right now. Food was how my mother expressed her love. No matter how critical or cruel she could seem, constantly pushing me to meet her intractable expectations, I could always feel her affection radiating from the lunches she packed and the meals she prepared for me just the way I liked them. I can hardly speak Korean, but in H-Mart it feels like I'm fluent. I fondle the produce and say the words aloud. Chemo melon, denmuji. I fill my shopping cart with every snack that has glossy packaging decorated with a familiar cartoon. I think about the time mom showed me how to fold the little plastic card that came inside the bags of Jolly Pong, how to use it as a spoon to shovel caramel puffed rice into my mouth, and how it inevitably fell down my shirt and spread all over the car. I remember the snacks mom told me she ate when she was a kid and how I tried to imagine her at my age. I wanted to like all the things she did to embody her completely. My grief comes in wave and is waves and is usually triggered by something arbitrary. I can tell you with a straight face what it was like watching my mom's hair fall out in the bathtub or about the five weeks I spent sleeping in hospitals. But catch me at H-Mart when some kid runs up double-fisting plastic sleeves of uh, Pion Twiggy and I'll just lose it. Those little rice cake frisbees were my childhood, a happier time when mom was there and we'd crunch away on the styrofoam like discs after school, splitting them like packing peanuts that dissolve like sugar on our tongues. I'll cry when I see a Korean grandmother eating seafood noodles in the food court, discarding shrimp heads and mussel shells into the lid of her daughter's tin rice bowl, her gray hair frizzy, cheekbones protruding like the tops of two peaches, tattooed eyebrows rusting as the ink fades out. I'll wonder what my mom would have looked like in her 70s if she'd have wound up with the same perm that every Korean grandma gets, as though it were part of our race's evolution. I'll imagine our arms linked, her small frame leaning against mine as we take the escalator up to the food court. The two of us in all black, New York style, she'd say. Her image of New York still rooted in the era of breakfast at Tiffany's. She would carry the quilted leather Chanel purse that she'd wanted her whole life instead of the fake ones that she bought on the back streets of Itawan. Her hands and face would be slightly sticky from QVC anti-aging creams. She'd wear some strange high-top sneaker wedges that I'd disagree with. Michelle, in Korea, every celebrity wears this one. She plucked the lint off my coat and pick on me, how my shoulders slump, how I needed new shoes, how I should really start using that argan oil treatment she bought me, but we'd be together. If I'm being honest, there's a lot of anger. I'm angry at this old Korean woman I don't know, that she gets to live and my mother does not. Like somehow this stranger's survival is at all related to my loss. That someone my mother's age could still have a mother. Why is she here slurping up the spicy noodles and my mom isn't? Other people must feel this way. Life is unfair, and sometimes it helps to irrationally blame someone for it. Sometimes my grief feels as though I've been left alone in a room with no doors. Every time I remember that my mother is dead, it feels like I'm colliding with a wall that won't give. There's no escape, just a hard surface that I keep ramming, ramming into over and over again, a reminder of the immutable reality that I'll never see her again. Well, pretty vivid. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of the book is powerful imagery. Um, stop wasting your time with music. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you know 
there's another little factoid at the end, but I might as well just say it now. Uh, this memoir has already been, it's already getting a feature film adaptation. Oh, cool. And uh, she, well, her band, Japanese Breakfast, is going to provide the film soundtrack. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I, I love this book. I think a lot of people would like it, too. It's just not for, you know, if, if, if it's going to affect you too much, I would maybe <laughs> avoid it or just take it in small doses. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's very powerful. Um, were you, it's so new, were you able to find a one-star review? I did. And I came up with a new idea for our one-star reviews. Um, mm. And I'll show you now what I'm going to do. And I might do it going forward because it's kind of funny. It's just my concept here. So I got a one-star review by from user Addy. Mm -hmm. And they say, worst book ever, WTD. And then in parentheses, that stands for what the duck. <laughs> what the duck is this? And then six smiley faces that are like with their tongue out. Nice. <laughs> so, but since we usually pull these from Goodreads, I decided to click on the user who left this oh. one star review. See what they gave five stars to. Nice. Okay. How about yes. that? Do you A like different that? Different level. I'll do so it with my I'd guy. Say, yeah. So someone gives one star to like Confederacy of Dunces. Let's see what they gave five stars to. Okay. So how do I? I need to like find how I can. <laughs> you sort need to this. find. You need to find the review. Yeah. Click on their name, and then on the top there'll be like a thing that says like they have however many reviews. Yep. So I'm on, that. I'm on that. So now how do I sort by like five stars? Uh, well, you can just kind of look through them. Uh, okay. I don't, yeah. I don't know. But so Addy only had 10 reviews total. Mm -hmm. uh, and they gave five stars to the children's book. Are you my mother by PD Eastman, <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, definitely a good book, but it's like weird to put it on the same scale as novels and stuff. But, uh, and then she, they also gave five stars to something called The Poop Diaries by Abby Ross. Damn, Poop Diaries. Um, so The Poop Diaries, yeah. So did, did you find your... Uh, your yeah, review? yeah. my guy's got a few fives. He's got a lot of reviews. It's like over 400 or something like whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, okay. This guy, get this guy on the podcast. Um, That's what they like. So a solid five stars goes to... Oh man, what a basic loser. To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh my God um all the light we cannot see that's like a new like book some book called the family fang gave five stars too <laughs> okay. um let me see tell the wolves i'm home <laughs> that's five okay stars and that's about the beginning of the aids epidemic uh flannery o'connor the complete stories he's down with I, that okay that's cool a Game of Thrones, saw five solid stars. <laughs> All right, bro. All right. To kill so do, you, I, do you like that concept, though? I, I like it. Yeah, that's really good. I think that's going to work. Four stars, uh, Water for Elephants. I hated that book when we were reading it in school. <laughs> oh, God. So um, I just looked up randomly. User, someone who gave Confederacy of Dunces a one star. I'm gonna see what they what they gave five stars to. Five stars to the book thief by Marcus Zuzak. Oh, of course, it's a, 
it's like, oh, and then the review is technically this is a book for young adults, but don't let that stop you from reading this masterpiece. <laughs> All right, masterpiece. <laughs> the Gargoyle by Andrew Davidson. Five stars. Yeah, dude. Way better than Dunces. Oh, five stars to uh, eleven twenty two sixty three by King. Mm, which was count. decent but not five stars they just liked it because like james franco was in it on like hulu or some shit uh, yeah. <laughs> oh world war z zombie war five stars of course best book ever oh my god but yeah so we got to start doing that now I, I like that yes me too cool so yeah uh this has been another episode of shitty book reports uh you can find us every week on or every so often spotify soundcloud stitcher itunes everything you can also send us email at sbrthepodcast at gmail.com uh send us your comments suggestions corrections whatever you're feeling you can hit us up on twitter too sbr the podcast um we'll see you next time see ya